Hey, I'm Jesse. We're in a series through Ruth, but our devotions are in Deuteronomy. It's not an error, it's quite deliberate. You've seen in the past few days' devotions this call for Israel to take care of the resident alien. That would be Naomi, or that would be Ruth, rather. And you've seen this stipulation for uh, how to take care of those who work hard for you. And you've also seen these precursors to the cross, which is really amazing to behold. And now I want you to get to verse 5, where the pres preservation of the family line is prescribed. So here's Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5. When brothers live on the same property and one of them dies without a son, the wife of the dead man may not marry a stranger outside the family. Her brother-in-law is to take her as his wife, have sexual relations with her, and perform the duty of a brother-in-law for her. The first son she bears will carry on the name of the dead brother, so his name will not be blotted out from Israel. But if the man does not want to marry his sister-in-law, she is to go to the elders at the city gate and say, my brother-in-law refuses to preserve his brother's name in Israel. He isn't willing to perform the duty of a brother-in-law for me. The elders of his city will summon him and speak with him. If he persists and says, I don't want to marry her, then his sister-in-law will go up to him in the sight of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot. Remember that little tidbit right there because it's gonna come roaring back in chapter four of the book of Ruth. Remove his sandal from his foot and spit in his face. You go, girl. She will declare, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his family name in Israel will be the house of the man whose sandal was removed. Having your sandal removed is a mark of shame. Okay, now verse 11 gets into a whole other weird thing. But I wanted to introduce this text here. We will get into verse 11. And then we're also going to cross-reference another uh, you know, while we're in the awkward stuff, let's just go for it. Let's get into Genesis chapter 38, verses 6 through 10, and see the, the real story, uh, the real story of Onam. So this is a prescription to see to it that even though a man would die, his name would not be blotted out from the records of Israel, and the plot of land ascribed to him and to his family uh, would remain there. So this is, uh, this is Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5, when brothers live on the same property, and one of them dies. Elimelech was, uh, you know, was the oldest, obviously, of his family, and he had sons, Machlon and Kilion, who were not yet married when they left from Bethlehem to go to Moab. And when they got to Moab, then they married. And so as far as the plot of land left behind was concerned, Machlon and Kilion were still brothers who lived on the same property. And so Deuteronomy chapter 25 applies quite perfectly and quite directly to the context of the book of Ruth. And so it says here then that, uh, uh, that Ruth would not marry someone outside of that family, that she would not marry a stranger, but her brother-in-law, in this case, her, her brother-in-law is deceased, but in this case, it would be Boaz or the more closely related family redeemer, would take her as his wife, have sexual relations with her and perform the duty of a brother-in-law for her. To us, culturally, this sounds shocking. This sounds bizarre. It, it, could, even be, it could even be offensive, but the intent here was that the first son she bears would carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name wouldn't be blotted out from Israel. The promised land was a huge deal. It was God's covenant to his people. The entire first generation of Israelites that died in the Exodus 
uh, were all seeking after this promised land. Now they have this promised land. The book of Joshua chapter 11 describes the conquest of the land of Canaan. And now it's, it, it belongs to the people of God. Here they are. They live here. But what happens when a dude dies? If, if, the, if the nomenclature of all the, the, the plat sheets is divided by the names of the dudes, when the dudes die, what happens to the land? Um, this is how this is how God prescribed the system. It would also see to it that the widow would not be left uh, would not be left alone. She would not be abandoned. She would be provided for. For her, having children was a huge deal, and she didn't have quite the resources that modern day women do to be able to start a business and provide for herself really well. It's probably what makes the Proverbs 31 woman so extraordinary. And so, this woman, if she's not provided for, by the relatives of her late husband, then she has legal recourse. And the ceremony, the drama that unfolds here would leave like a permanent blemish upon this, uh, upon this, this guy who refuses to do the work of the Redeemer. Now, if he's, um, if he's eligible for marriage, it's expected. Guess what? That's going to be your wife. Now, that means that if if your brother dies and you're single, you're expected to marry his widow, and then the first son that you have is going to be named after your dead brother. And that, that way, that child would have a piece of the promised land. It was all prescribed by God, and it, it sets the backdrop here. It sets the backdrop for the book of Ruth. Um, a bit of a teaser here, though. Boaz is not the most closely related to Ruth's dead husband. There's another guy who's more closely related. Dun, dun, dun. All right, so there's some tension there. You got to see what, what, what unfolds. But here is this preservation of the family line. Sometimes it's referred to as leveret marriage, and it's prescribed in Deuteronomy chapter 25. It sets the backdrop for Ruth, and it makes the gospel possible. It seems obscure, but when we take Old Testament texts like these, they always point forward to Jesus and become beautifully clear.